Now, last week, for those who were not here, we were away at camp. And we had a wonderful blessing and a wonderful time at our family camp. It was a great blessing as we fellowshiped, as we shared in meals, as we played games, as we had fun worshipping. And Henry Earl looked at this specific topic during camp. It was that of drawing near, as James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, one of the things that I sort of drew or, or gleaned from the various sessions that we had was this aspect of choice. The choice to draw near. The choice to be and remain in the presence of God. The choice to spend time in his word and and, and to respond to the initiative that God has taken in each of our lives. That choice, as Jono, when he quoted um, Oswald Sanders, and he, he said how you only ever as close to God as you choose to be. That was that whole aspect of choice. You see, when I read through the scriptures, I am confronted with this wonderful reality of how on numerous occasions, God takes the initiative. God steps out. God reaches forth to us. You see this in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sin, God shows up, and in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, he calls out to Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is, but he's calling out because he knows that something's not right with the relationship he shares with his creation, with the person that he loves. He calls out to Eve when he finds, when he's told that Eve had first eaten of the fruit, which he already knew, and he says, I think it's in verse 11, he says, What is this that you have done? He's reaching out, giving them the opportunity to respond to his initiative, to his step. And what I like is this, that even though in their separation because of their disobedience, in their separation because of their sin, God does what? God provides an atonement. God provides a covering. Why? So that relationship can still take place so that intimacy can still happen so that closeness can still occur and you see this over and over again you see how in for example in in Genesis 18 when God visits Abraham and he's about to pass judgment on Sodom and he says this God says this in verse 17 of chapter 18 he says shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do and he goes back and he tells Abraham this is what's going to happen that, that, that's amazing. When he speaks to Elijah in the whisper of, of 1 Kings 19, when he reveals his will to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist in, in Luke chapter 1, when he reveals his will to Mary in Luke chapter 2 about the birth of Jesus Christ, when he reveals himself to Paul on, on the road to Emmaus, not on the road to Emmaus, on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, whether it's the revelation of John when on the Isle of Patmos, God opens up the very heavens, pulls back the veil, which is what an apocalypse means. It means an unveiling. He pulls back the veil to reveal to John just what he's going to be doing. I see time and time and time again within the scriptures, this God who desires to have is passionate to initiate and is active in establishing a personal relationship with you, with 
us. And you know how I know this? You know how I know this reality? Because I look at what God gave to me in Jesus Christ. I look at the steps that he went to when he clothed himself in human flesh, when he was born of a virgin and lived this sinless life, when he was nailed to a cross for yours and my sin, when he went all through that to establish a relationship with you. That through believing in him, I not only have life, but then I have belonging. What does it say in John 3.16, which some of you quoted in sync for Ali, very poorly here as well. That, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And not only have life, but have a, a relationship. What does John 1.12 say? To as many as believed him, to them he gave the right to be called the sons of God. That is what he has given us. And, and in that relationship, in that friendship, we now have a knowledge of what God is doing. John 15, 15. It's the God Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I, I don't call you servants in the old King James. I don't call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. No, no, I have called you friends. I have called you friends in Christ. We are now friends with God and we are given this insight as to what he is doing. So when we look at the likes of say Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. When we look at things like that, we know that the will of God in Christ concerning us is to rejoice evermore, is to pray without ceasing, is to in everything give thanks. We know all of these things that's been made known to us because of God's relationship granted to us in Jesus. So, if you are born again by the Spirit of God, if you are now by faith believed and received Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for the redemption of your soul, for eternal life, you are now part of this, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are now part of this chosen generation. You are now part of this royal priesthood. You are now part of this, this people belonging to God, this, this holy nation, so that we might what? Show forth the praises of him who has brought us from darkness into light. That's what we have been given. So he made himself known, he demonstrated his love, and he granted us this opportunity now as his children to not only know him, but draw near to him as well. And that's what the camp was about. It was about drawing near. I didn't leave camp with this great spiritual high. You know how you leave camp and you're like, oh, wow, it's so awesome. No, no, I didn't leave with the spiritual high. I said to him, bro, how, how I'm feeling now is like, how was it when I was at home? But what I do feel, feels the wrong word, but what I do know is that I'm closer, that I'm drawing near to my God who invites me to draw near to him, who wants me to be close to him, who says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come. That's the invitation that he gives us. So this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. It was made reference to at the camp, I believe, in the second talk by our brother Henry Earl. But this was one of the big things that stuck out to me regarding choice. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read, and then I'll open in prayer. So if you're all in their Bibles, please follow along. Please follow along in your Bibles. Be wonderful, okay? Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your Son in whom we have life, in whom we have redemption, in whom we have acceptance. Thank you that in your Son we have been forgiven of our sin by the sacrifice he made on the cross. And I pray that if we, as your children, come before you now, pray that you'll stir in our hearts a desire, a, a thirst, a hunger for more of you above all else that can only be quenched and only be satisfied as we spend time in your presence, as we allow you to speak to us. Father, please minister to our hearts now. Please reveal yourself in all your glory. Please change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are three things I want to look at today regarding this passage. And I think it's reflective of, of many of our hearts as well, as individuals, as, as families, and even as a church. And that is the whole thing of about wanting to see Jesus. Wanting to see Jesus. And so these three things is what, what Zacchaeus wanted, what Zacchaeus did, and what Zacchaeus received. First thing. What he wanted, look at verse three. Look at verse three. It says this, he wanted to see who Jesus was. That's his desire. He wanted to see, he no doubt had heard about Jesus. He no doubt would have bore witness or to, to the people's testimonies of this miracle worker, of this healer, because they were doing the rounds. He may even have heard about this guy named Matthew Levi, this great tax, tax collector who actually became a follower of Jesus. You know how like when you're into tech stuff, you know about a lot of different tech people. You're into sport stuff. You know, you know a lot of sport people. If you're a rugby guy, you know various rugby players. I reckon in the tax collector circle, I reckon in the tax collector circle, then they would have been like, Zacchaeus would have been like, Matthew Levi? Are you serious? You mean he left his booth and followed Jesus when you told him? I reckon that made the rounds. I reckon that made the rounds. So you heard about Matthew Levi as well. They left his job and then went to follow this carpenter from Nazareth. What's interesting is this. Regardless of what he had heard, you notice something here? What he wanted to do was find out for himself. He wanted to find out for himself. He wanted to see who Jesus was for himself. Not what Matthew Levi had to say, not what the Pharisees or scribes had to say, not what the locals had to say. He wanted to find out for himself. And I think often we forget this. See, if you look at John the Baptist's um, disciples, two of them 
when they heard about they heard about Jesus through John the Baptist then when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist baptizes him two disciples follow when they follow Jesus asks of them what is it that you want and they want to find out about Jesus and now Jesus' response in, in John chapter 1, verse 39 are these three words. He says this to the two disciples. Come and see. You come and see. You come and find out for yourself. Not on what anyone else has to say. You, come, you heard what John had to say, but you come and see for yourself. It's what Philip told Nathaniel when he asked, when uh, Nathaniel asks Philip, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Really? Yeah, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Really? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip responds to him in John chapter 1, verse 46. Hey, come and see. You come and find out. In other words, it is the invitation for a person to find out for themselves who Jesus is. And not to follow a biased narrative. There are some people who only, whose only idea of God is what they find on The Simpsons. You have some people whose only idea of God comes from what they see in the movies. You get some people who find out who Jesus Christ is by what their atheist friend has to say. And sadly, I don't want to have to say this, but and sadly, sometimes, sometimes the perception of who Jesus Christ is, the negative perception that they have is reflected or comes across by how we conduct ourselves as the church. Uh, a guy named, I can't remember, all I know is his last name's Kinnaman. But he said this, he said, we as Christians today are sadly known for all the wrong things. And not for the person whom we represent. And honestly, you talk with some people and you mention that you go to church, or you mention you're a Christian, you mention that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And often, often, love is the furthest description that they have for you or for the church. Acceptance is one of the furthest things they have when they identify with the church. Or, or, or usually it's associated with judgment or, or it's associated with condemnation or, or associated with, with bigotry. Now look, I'm not saying that we're told in the scriptures to judge, please don't misunderstand me, but to judge correctly according to the word of God. We are told to discern and, and be wise and, and to be set apart. We are told to do those. But honestly, honestly, you look at the way Jesus Christ conducted himself. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ where children felt comfortable around him. You, you look how he could approach prostitutes and, and not feel judged because of something he said, but merely by his presence. But he still showed love and he still showed acceptance. He still showed goodness. That, that's, that's, quite, that's quite amazing. So when you, when you read, when you look in the scriptures, you see Jesus is who we represent. We need to present who Jesus is, not how people perceive him, not what we want him to be, but who Jesus is. When you read in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, Jesus asks them, who do men say that I am? And they give a whole bunch of answers. Well, some people say this, some people say that, but we might listen to that, you know, we might say, oh, well, the media promotes this, our teachers portray that, or even what, you know, Pastor Joe has to say about this, that, and the other. You know, depending on what the source is will often determine how a person's perception is. But it is not that question I think we should take note of. It is the second question that Jesus asks. He says, but you, who do you say that I am? And you see, that's, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? 
for some of us, we've been raised in a Christian home our whole lives and have been exposed to church. And we've just become apathetic. We've just become comfortable in that. Others of us have come to faith from a non-Christian home. And we've experienced some transformation to a different degree. Some of us have been Christians for decades. Some of us have not. But whatever the reason, whether it's disappointment or discouragement, whether it's busyness or selfishness, whether it's misunderstandings or misconceptions, some other, or for some other reason, our view of Jesus can be skewed, twisted, or changed. And, and if you're in that position, if that's how you're, you're feeling at the moment, and, and like many Christians are, where they're just like, I've always liked that word. That just, they're just like, meh. It's like, eh, meh. That's just that. If, if you're in that, the question now is posed, what is it that you want? Who do you want in your Christian life? How deep do you want your relationship to go? Do you want to see Jesus for who he really is. If you do, that's great. We'll look a little, a little bit more into that. But if you don't, I was talking with a brother just recently, and he was sharing with me how he's just feeling that meh. He's like, ah. You know, he's been going to church for a while, and, and I was just, just fellowship with him. It was a great time sharing with him. He goes, I just don't, I'm just not with it. I'm just not with it. This is not where I'm at at the moment. And, and the, the question I asked him was this. I said to him, bro, do you want it back? If you've lost that relationship, if you've lost that intimacy, if you've lost that closeness, if you've become apathetic, if you've become comfortable, if you've become complacent in your relationship with Jesus, if that's gone, do you want it back? And he goes, that's the question, isn't it? And I says, yeah. And, and if, that's, if that's you, if that's you now, what I can tell you is this, I was, Henry, okay, uh, for those of you who get a chance, look online at, at the Camp Talk. Talk number one is Henry Earl's testimony. He shares his testimony. And he, he went through some pretty crazy things. But one thing I talked about him afterwards, and I said to him, bro, when you were going through all your stuff, when you were walking away, when you were doing this, that, and the other, like, how, how was it? And he goes, the thing that really stuck to me, because I had this awareness of God from such a young age, the thing that stuck out to me is that I'm still his son. I'm still his son. When the prodigal goes away and lives up his inheritance, he's still loved by his father. When he comes to this realization of where he's at and what's going on, he's still loved by his father. When God opens his eyes and he says, I've sinned against heaven, if I go home and I'll be a servant, he's still loved by his father. When he's walking back from the distance, what happens? His father sees him, runs him with open arms and says, my son who was lost is now found. Kill the fatted calf, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And Henry Earl shared that with me. He says that even in all that journey, I know I was still his son. And I know that I was still loved by him. And I know that he was working in each of my lives. And so if you're in the stage of apathy, if you're in the stage of complacency, if you're in the stage of, of discomfortable, if you're in the stage of, in the, of just meh, you're still his child. And you're still loved by him. And he's still calling out to you. He's still reaching out to you to say, come on back. Your father's here with open arms. To quote, to quote our sister Eva, Eva saw, draw near, draw near. Sorry, that, that's, a, that's a, a camp joke there. Okay. <laughs> my, my daughter, come here, my daughter. Draw near my daughter. 
But see, that's where you start. Oh, I've, got my, I've got my sweat towel there, bro. Sorry, I, I, I've got a, I have a, for those at home, I have a sweat towel because I'm, I'm probably getting really shiny and glistening for you at the moment. Thanks, bro. So, yeah. I have, I have a sweat towel I leave on my, on my chair now. I feel like all I need now is a cape to wear over me so I can... Anyway, I apologize, I apologize. Okay. That's quite disgusting. Sorry about that. Okay. But here's, here's where you start. Here's where you start. If, this is, if you're in that meh situation, then be honest. Be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Pour your heart out before God. He's bigger than your questions. He's bigger than your doubts. And what's crazy is this. He's not afraid of them. He is not afraid of them. Even if you do ask why, Lord, I don't understand, he's not afraid of that. And by his grace, even though he's under no obligation, sometimes by his grace, he'll make it known to you. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Romans 7, Paul cries out and says what? Oh, wretched man that I am. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 says this. Oh, woe is me, for I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. You look at Peter in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus enters the boat and he says, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. All of those things that happen, be honest with God, this is where you're at. Be honest with yourself that this is where you're at. Because when you're honest with God and honest with yourself, you know what? God can move. God can work. God can reveal. Why? Because you're not living behind this facade that you've created, that you've got it all together. Because you don't. I don't. I had a brother who prayed for me at camp, and this was a really cool line that he shared. He goes, he, when he was praying, he says, Father, thank, thank you that you showed me Pastor Joe is human. And I was also moved by that. I was like, wow, I don't like that. I, I think I'm human. Like, you know, but he, how, even, even as a pastor, even as a pastor, I, I still need prayer. Even as a pastor, I still need help. Even as a pastor, I still need support. As a pastor, I still need friends. Okay, but all I'm saying is that, that okay, but that's, that's where we start. We, we, if you don't have the desire to want to see Jesus, then cry out to God to give you that desire. Cry out to him and say, Lord, help me. And it's in then, the wretchedness that you are feeling, well, then you'll experience deliverance. The, 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 the isolation or the sinfulness that you're feeling, well, it's then you experience cleansing. The, 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 the self-absorption of depart from me from a sinful man, well, then you experience fellowship because that is what Jesus has come to bring us. You see, if we start there, if we're not wanting, ask God to give us that want, but if we start there, we see this desire birthed by his spirit, then we move on to what we can do. Because when you look at what Zacchaeus did, in verse 4, we read this, that he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, to, a sycamore fig tree to see him. It's quite amazing what you want. Okay, when you want something, it makes you do things that you wouldn't usually do. So on Friday at camp, we've been there for maybe two hours, I get this wonderful message from my wife, and it says this, I miss you, and it's only been a few hours. And I'm like, oh. Because I really missed my wife too. And I was contemplating in my mind. I'm like, well, it's only an hour and a half. I could drive home, have dinner with my wife, and still be back in time for the next session. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that. And then I'm thinking, well, I could go see her during free time. But we had games that day. 
But I'm like, oh. So I call my wife the next morning. I say, oh, no, I'll come back and visit him. It's only an hour and a bit. It's, it's only an hour and a bit. And the traffic, there won't be any traffic because people are already at their locations. And I'm like, but you see what I mean? The things that you're willing to do for love. But the things you want to do, I missed my wife, my wife missed me, and I'd be willing to drive an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back, just so I get to spend a bit of time with her. The things that you do. Now, look, I'm no amazing husband or anything like that. I just, I just, maybe I'm a baby, I don't know. But, okay, but that's, that's what we do. See, sometimes necessity dictates that we do various things. See, Henry Earl noticed, noted that camp during the story, he was saying that, a growing man climbing a tree is not a normal thing. He asked everybody, how many of you guys have climbed trees? All these people put their hands up at camp. How many of you guys climb trees as an adult? Nobody. No one climbs a tree as an adult for fun. Well, even for a reason. Like, I mean, I, I, cl- I, climbed, I climbed the roof of my house, but that's because I had to look for cracks in the, in the, in the, in the tiles and breaking more tiles as I was looking for those. <laughs> Completely different story, okay? But the thing is this, I may have looked foolish, but necessity dictated that I climb on my house to look for these, le- for these leaks. But the thing is, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, when it comes to nurturing our relationship with him, not many of us are willing to look foolish. Not many of us are willing to run ahead and climb a tree in order to see Jesus. Oh, I don't feel like it. Oh, it's too demanding. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I'm too, I'm too tired. I mean, these are the excuses that I use to skip on developing or even maintaining my relationship with Jesus. And, and what's amazing is that Jesus doesn't actually force me to do so. He'll actually just leave me to my own devices until I reach the end of my rope and realize, Lord, what, I, I can't find any hope anywhere else. I can't find contentment anywhere else. I, I can't find satisfaction anywhere else. He'll, he'll sometimes let me, what's that, what's that phrase? He'll give you enough, uh, he doesn't, this, 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 is me, this is me putting it, but it's almost like give you enough rope to hang yourself with. So I'll just give you enough rope to realize there's no contentment anywhere else outside of Jesus Christ. But this means then that we have to understand and utilize the tools that God has given us. The disciplines that he's set in place to help us with our apathy, to help us with our weariness, to help us with our familiarity or legalism that we might find, find ourselves in. I mean, when you look at those spiritual disciplines, and for those of us who've been a Christian for a while, we, are, we, look, at, we look at Bible study, we look at prayer, we, we look at fellowship, we look at worship, we look at evangelism, we look at all of these spiritual disciplines. We say, if I do this, then this will, this will guarantee me my spiritual maturity. This will guarantee me my spiritual growth. Well, I think we have the wrong misperception of what these tools are actually for. There's a wonderful book that I found in our church library, which I, want to, I, want to, I highly recommend. It's called Life with God by Richard Foster. And he says this, okay? This, I mean, these are the trees that have been given to us well, to be able to climb a tree and see Jesus clearly. But Richard Foster says this, the spiritual disciplines in and of themselves have no merit whatsoever. They possess no righteousness contain no rectitude. That word rectitude I had to look up apparently means moral uprightness, moral goodness. Their purpose, their only purpose is to place us before God. 
then the grace of God steps in and takes this simple offering of ourselves and creates out of it the kind of person who embodies the goodness of God. Did you get that? Our Bible study, our, our Bible reading, our, our prayer, our, our time of fellowship, our worship, these are all tools that God has given us to what? To place us in his presence, to bring us before him. And then his grace steps in and takes what little I have to offer, just who I am, and he says the goodness of God is then embodied in me through the Spirit. That's, that's how it is. Our camp was a great camp, and it was a great time of camp. You know what that was? That was to bring us before God and to encounter Him in each other. You know what this time of fellowship is right now? This is a wonderful blessing that God has given us to place you and I before Him. Our time of fellowship is so that we might spend time together before God as a body of believers. When we go to our Bible studies midweek, you know what that's for? It's so that we can be brought before God and I can bring you before God in prayer. In that time of prayer, that's me being brought before God where I can pour my heart out, heart out to Him and allow Him to speak to me. That's what they are. This is, I mean, this is the sycamore tree. This was the climbing of the tree that Zacchaeus did and this is our climbing of the tree. And what's, what's crazy is this. What it is for you will be different for me. Your sycamore tree, I don't know if you've seen sycamore trees, but they don't look, it's not like a sausage thing. Not every sycamore tree looks the same. Not everybody climbs the same. But I tell you what, when you get up there, you'll see Jesus. And that's the purpose of it. And here's what's cool, is that it starts off small. It can start off small and then grow over time and be developed over time. There's a wonderful book, once again from our library, about discipline, about discipline. And it started off something simple. It said this, it said this, you know what? Here's a wonderful discipline exercise. When you get home, pick up after yourself. That's it. Take your shoes off, put them away where they're supposed to go. When you get dressed, don't leave the clothes lying on the floor, put them in the laundry basket or hang them up. Close the cupboard after you take your glass out. It's just, just a little exercise like that can help you be more mindful of how you conduct yourself. Then it can go from this to like, all right, I'm going to spend a little time praying this morning. I'll spend time reading the Word. One of the things I was challenged with, and this is what we got challenged with during our jam time, um, I deleted all the games off my phone. So I can't waste any unnecessary time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But I deleted all the games on my phone. And like, even just the other day, I was going to go, oh, yeah, what? There's nothing to play. Cool. Something as simple as that. And, and it's amazing what God can start doing because the result, the result is priceless. What you receive is priceless. What Zacchaeus received was priceless. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. He receives the recognition, the acceptance, and the invitation of Jesus. Jesus chose to be in the home of Zacchaeus. We talk about drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. That's demonstrated right here. Zacchaeus did what he did so he could see Jesus, so he could be drawn closer to Jesus. And what happened? Jesus drew near to him. Jesus went to his house to have a feed. Jesus chose to be in his company. Jesus chose to share at his table. And when Jesus, and when Jesus was present, what happened? Transformation took place. If you read from verse 10, 
Uh, sorry, verses 8 to 10, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, Lord, here, now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. He just did that automatically. It's what God laid upon his heart. And in verse 10, when it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. No one forced Zacchaeus to say that. This was the work of God working in his heart that overflowed into action. It was something out of character that was the result of being with Jesus. He did something new in order to see Jesus. He experienced closeness of fellowship with Jesus. And in that closeness had transformation occur. I see the truth of Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 here. It's practically demonstrated. This longing for intimate relationship is shown by Jesus' actions. Uh, his reaching out. Say, in Revelation 3 in verse 20, we read about, well, in Revelation 3, we have Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. And we read in verse 20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know what that is? That's intimacy. That's closeness. That's what Jesus made available to Zacchaeus. So as he was knocking on the door of Zacchaeus' heart, Zacchaeus went and opened the door by climbing this fig tree and experienced transformation, experienced closeness. Zacchaeus got to sup with Jesus because he wanted to see Jesus. Now the same invitation is laid out to all of us too. That as Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts, the tree that we climb is the response to that knocking. It may be surrendering, the surrendering of our anxieties to him. It could be letting go of the hurts and the disappointments. It might be, it might be more discipline in our personal lives. It might be incorporating more intention with our spiritual friendships or with our friendships in general. It might be intention in our personal disciplines. What I do know is this, as I shared before, with each of us, it is different. With each of us, God will meet us uniquely where we are at. Just like he met Moses in, with the burning bush, just like he met Joshua as a, a sword-drawn soldier, just as he, he, he met Isaiah in Isaiah 6 in the temple as the cloud, he will meet us where each of us are at. So, so pray, so pray. That's where it starts. Pray that we want to draw near to Jesus. Pray for that desire. Pray for that desire to see him in all his glory, to see him in all his majesty. Ask God to give you a desire because you cannot manufacture that yourself. There was a wonderful quote that Henry L. gave, and Jimmy quoted it at, at the sharing time. He said, and I shared this with a couple this morning, but he said how in relationships, we, we often sit there and talk about quality versus quantity. Yeah, well, it's quality time versus quantity time. And, and Henry Earl said, no, it's actually in relationships, it's quantity time that's important because in the quantity of time, the quality moments take place. And he shared a, an example of when he got locked in a park and he said the kids, here's one of our quality times. We had a quality time at camp. We were waiting for the games to start on a night and, and all the kids started dancing to Disney songs and having a glow stick party. But it was, a, it was that, that's a quality and the quantity of time and the fact that parents were present with their kids and parents were, you know, adults and kids alike. And, and parents were willing to just have fun with the kids. It was in the quantity of that moment, the fact that the parents were with the children, that the quality of that relationship grew. 
where the kids could have fun and play. And then, then Pastor Joe come and switch on the light and said, all right, that's enough. And just stopped everything because we were about to get on with the night. And then your little Ariella, but the party was just getting started. But I mean, just, just things like that. So, so it is with our relationship with God that spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time in His presence, meditating upon the Scriptures, hearing what He has to say, and the quantity of those times is when the quality moments take place, where God will prompt your heart, where God will speak to you, just one verse here, that God will challenge you and convict you of something in your life. So pray. Pray and then act. That when He convicts you about something, you've got to give up. I should get rid of this, okay? I've got to delete all the stuff off my phone. I, I, won't, I, won't. I will sanctify the use of my computer to never watch anything inappropriate on my computer ever again. I'll set that apart. That sanct- I, I've, I've done that years ago where I said, my, my wife gave me a new computer. First thing I did was I sanctified it. I prayed over it and I said, Lord, this is your computer. I never want to watch anything inappropriate on this computer because this is yours. Got given a new phone. Lord, <laughs> this is your phone. I don't want to watch anything. Now it's, I don't want to play anything on this thing anymore. Just something like that. But act, act. What's your sycamore tree that you're going to climb? What are the things that you're going to lay aside? Because you want to see Jesus. Because here's what happens. You then receive. You receive that closeness. You receive that intimacy. You receive those quality moments with your Savior who says, come to me. That's what he wants to give. That's what he makes available to us. And I pray, I pray that this would be the stirring of God's heart for our hearts because I know this I know this for a fact that when I read the scriptures and I look at the example of what God has done he wants to have an intimate relationship with you too he wants to have that closeness he's made he's done everything he can to make that evident in each of your lives and I pray that each of us will respond so with that I'd like to bow your heads We'll close in prayer and then spend time fellowshipping with each other while the kids destroy upstairs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Zacchaeus. We thank you so much for this past camp. We thank you so much for the way you are working and that you are active in everybody's hearts and minds and very beings at Grace Christian Church. I ask, Lord, that you will speak to us even now, that regardless of where we're at, that you will always just stir within each of our hearts a desire, a want to see you, a longing to be close to you, and then the courage to climb that tree, that we would lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, that we will lay aside those things that we hold on to in our own hearts, that we release them all to you so we can see you clearly, and that when we see you clearly, that we will sup with you. That as you knock on the door of our hearts, we'll respond, open the door, and we will experience true, genuine fellowship and intimacy of closeness that transforms our lives. I pray that you will bring this about, that you will make this a reality, that we will not be a people that are really hearers of your word, but truly doers of your word also. So I commit this church, I commit these people into your hands. I pray that you will have your will be done in each of our lives and on this earth as it is in heaven. Now unto you who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you, Father, be glory in the church, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.